Hello and welcome to episode 16 of The Wolf Den. I'm Devin Olson, joined by LP Spaulding. And oh boy, was it ever a first week of Timberwolves basketball. I don't think we could have predicted anything more Timberwolvesy than that. They come out first game against the Houston Rockets. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I almost forgot. Welcome back to the second best Timberwolves podcast. Shout out to Dan Moore. That was almost a close one. That could have been really bad. But Timberwolves basketball is back. Like I said, an absolute Wolvesy week. Blow out the Houston Rockets. Everyone's feeling good. Holy shit, we're going to the NBA Finals. Then just an ugly win. Didn't really deserve to win. If the Pelicans weren't the Pelicans, probably almost any other team in the league would have beat the Wolves that night. And then last night on Monday night, oof, that was a bad one. That was a bad one. We'll get into everything, but how are you doing, LP? And by the way, LP, you're making you're making your comeback to pick up basketball tomorrow night. Is there going to be any any tension on the team with you skipped out on the pickup game last week for the Wolves and, I don't know, reintegrating you into the into the team? Are you mentally ready to play? Are you mentally there and ready to play for this team tomorrow night? You know, the dirty little secret was that uh, it was actually just a cover. You know, I was mentally ready to play and physically ready to play, but um, my contract needed to be renegotiated. I didn't feel like I was getting paid what I was worth from the team. And, uh, you know, we got a deal done behind closed doors. You know, it was clean. You know, they understood where I was coming from. But more importantly, Dev, I made a prediction about the Wolves that is already coming true. I made a platform saying, if you let me go to Timberwolves games, we will win. <laughs> now, apparently I do what I didn't realize is that I don't even have to go. I just need a ticket. I just need somebody to give me a ticket. Riddle me this. Is it a coincidence? I had two tickets to the first two games. Wolves win. No ticket for me. Third game. Timberwolves brass. Mark Laurie. Alex Rodriguez shunning me, keeping me out of the stadium. We blow it. All right. You tell me the proof's in the pudding, man. I'm not saying I can guarantee I get, that we're going to lose every time I'm not there, but I can guarantee that every time I'm there, we're going to win. We're going to test this out. It's going to happen. Yeah. I like that. And truth be told about you and the pickup team. We, before we renegotiated that contract, shit, we tried to trade you. We tried hard. We tried hard, but we were really hoping out for a difference maker, but the only thing that these teams were sending back was Patrick Beverly and Malik Beasley. And we're like, shit, I guess I better just roll the dice with LP. I guess I better just roll the dice with LP. But anyway, yeah, Timberwolves Brass probably needs to get you into more games if that's the case. You'll be back. You'll be back in target center sooner rather than later. So back back to the winning ways soon, hopefully. You might just have to start traveling to road games too. Wife and baby probably won't, probably won't appreciate that. <laughs> I mean... They'll, they'll understand, you know, if it's for the brand, right? You know, if you do it long enough and the, the results keep coming, the Timberwolves will start paying for it. So they just have to make a short-term sacrifice for long-term success, Dev. I like it. So on the podcast today, we're going to kind of just go through a recap, a little bit of the two-and-one starts that the Wolves had. Maybe get into a little bit. Last night, Ant and Cat both said some interesting things just in terms of the Wolves' leadership dynamics and why that could get a little interesting here pretty quick. And then, and then a new segment that we're just going to save the name for that you randomly told me about 15 minutes before we started this podcast that I absolutely love. So we're going to do that, Twitter questions and LP's Wolves Fact of the Week. So to start, just quickly recapping the 2 and one start. Like I said, 18-point win against Houston last Wednesday, started the season 1-0. and We were up 31 before the starters got pulled in the fourth quarter. Just a dominant, dominant game. Houston's one of the smaller teams in the league, might even be smaller than Minnesota. 
So the Wolves actually won the rebound battle by five that night, forced 24 turnovers, scored 38 points off those turnovers. All in all, not much you can complain about. First game, 1-0. Patrick Beverly didn't play, but all in all, just a great game by the Wolves for the first one. And then Saturday night against the Pelicans, seven-point win. That was a really ugly win. Pelicans dominated the Wolves on the board, 61-47, to 21-13 to on the offensive glass. The Wolves still forced 30 turnovers, but only scored 25 points off those turnovers this time. And then Cat and D'Lo both had too many turnovers. D'Lo especially seven turnovers. And then I don't know what the hell that shot was at the end of regulation, but I guess D'Lo hit some clutch shots down the stretch. And the Wolves pulled out something that usually they wouldn't pull out and probably shouldn't have even pulled out this year, but the Pelicans are the Pelicans. So that was fun. And then last night, just bad. It was, it, it really, the only glimmer of hope or the only good was Anthony Edwards' 22-point third quarter. Wolves got out-rebounded 60-41. to 41. They still forced 20 turnovers, scored 23 off those turnovers. So a key theme, I mean, defensively, we'll talk about a little bit more later, is the turnovers. Like, the Wolves have been forcing turnovers. It starts at the point of attack with Patrick Beverly in the second unit. And then the other thing that we're probably going to just get right into right now Carl Anthony Towns and the bitching at the rest. Like the first quarter watching back, I didn't end up watching anything live until the second half, but I went back and watched the first half of that game. Carl Anthony Towns just flailing everywhere, clearly bothered and annoyed by the refs because of Jonas Valanciunas' physical nature that he played him with. And Cat can complain that he doesn't get calls and he's the most underappreciated quote unquote star in the league. Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic, Rudy Gobert, I'll get more calls than him. But, dude, none of them complain as much as Carl Anthony Towns. And I think that might be the worst I've ever seen Cat complain. So I guess in your mind, what does Cat need to change in order to get maybe the respect from the refs, but also just in terms of maybe putting his head down and working? Because he says it all the time. I'm going to stop complaining to the refs, but it just it just never happens for some odd reason. Yeah, it's tough because when we're looking at Cat's game, right, he's had a more perimeter-based game. He's not necessarily a banger down in the post. But with the new body especially, it became pretty obvious that he's getting pushed off his center of gravity a lot more than he was previously. When you look back at some of those plays, especially with Valanciunas in that third game, you can call those fouls. But a lot of it was just Cat getting moved off the spot And then previously, you know, since he was a bigger guy, you know, if he got pushed to the side, the refs are given the benefit of the doubt. I I truly believe that even though Cat may be leaner and stronger, he's losing size, just natural size in that battle. And it's making it more difficult. So what was a foul to him before probably isn't looking like as much of a foul now, if you're just going off of pure, you know, the way Cat looks. And that's a lot of speculation realistically cat has to know that he has to be way more physical if he wants to get those calls i don't think anybody is gonna you know call cat a physical player by any stretch i don't think anybody across the league perceives him as a super physical player by any stretch it seems like he's running into situations and instead of using his speed he's using his old moves and trying to bury his shoulder into the chest of the defender and try to work through them to get to his angles to finish and you know, realistically, he's going to have to find a new way to score. And that's terrifying thinking that cat's probably our biggest player and going against the likes of Jonas Valanciunas, he can't even bury through him or even on switches, 
go through smaller players to finish at the rim like he used to. I know that's jumping way too far ahead, but you know, realistically, Cat's going to have to blame the refs less and blame himself more and realize that when he looks back at the tape, it's not egregious. They're not obvious fouls. They're NBA fouls, but not fouls that if you're going and playing a pickup game that are going to be obviously called every single time. These are NBA fouls that he's hoping to get instead of just playing the game and working through like some of the best stars in the NBA do right now. Yeah, and Patrick Beverly kind of put it best when he just, he basically yelled, there's a couple of Wolves reporters that tweeted out because they're right next to the Wolves bench. And basically at the end of the first quarter, Patrick Beverly in the huddle before the team started the second quarter, basically just told the team to shut the flip up and just play basketball. Like quit worrying. You can't control what the refs are going to do. You're honestly probably pissing the refs off more and are likely to get less calls when you're bitching out of the entire game. Like the Wolves are doing themselves no favors by, you know, if, even if they're getting fouled, complaining instead of getting back on defense is doing them absolutely no favor. They, they're they not going to blow the whistle after you start complaining to them. So get your ass back on defense and go from there. Let, let Chris Finch work the refs. Let the coaching staff, the fans will let the refs have it. You worry about playing basketball because you're the ones on the floor. But, yeah, it's it's been one of my biggest pet peeves about Cat for a really long time. And I kind of am hopeful that – Patrick Beverly, maybe even Anthony Edwards a little bit, start getting in Cat's ear about just, like, get your ass back. Don't worry about the refs. Let them do their thing. You can't control that. That's something you can't control. You need to be focused and put your emotions on something you can control. So hopefully that's what happens. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, and realistically, you hope this is coming from a place of being hyper-competitive. But to your point, you know, refs the worst kept secret of the nba is the refs have big egos like it's not they're not there to show up and just manage the game in the way that you would think they it's 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 unbelievable when you watch a playoff game how you can know when certain refs are on the court that the game's going to have a certain flavor to it it's going to have a certain style if you listen to jim peterson you know as soon as you saw cat bark into the refs Jim Peterson, been a veteran watching a long time. He goes, that's the wrong tree to be barking up, man. Like, that's not the referee you want to be messing with. And it's little gamesmanship things like that that you hope that someone like Patrick Beverly will add to the Wolves. And I have seen that. You know, it's one of those things that we haven't noticed. But you watch Patrick Beverly. He does those little things to, you know, sometimes butter up the refs. Or he knows what to say to them to kind of get results. And he's been on winning teams that get those types of calls. So, you know, Cat, like you said, for right now, Cat has none of that you know, he doesn't have that political side to him right now. What he has is just pure, like a toddler screaming into the ether. Like he just wants it his way. And if you don't agree with him, he's going to MF you the whole time. And that's not going to sit well with certain refs. You know, you have to play the game. The NBA is a game and a game and a game, right? If you want to be a superstar, you have to know these things. So yeah, I mean, it, I don't say I like it. Like I, as a fan and any rational person, that second foul on cat was complete garbage, you know, setting a mid court screen, but it's not surprising when you've been chirping the ref for six straight minutes in the game that the ref might be like, yeah, you know what? Screw cat. We're going to call a foul right here. And of course then, you know, cat couldn't even get his wits about him until basically halftime. And that threw us off the whole team. So long story short, you got to play the game cat. Nobody wants to see you talk to the refs. Nobody cares. Move on, do better. And I think that kind of leads us into our next, next topic about the wolves leadership dynamics. And last night, if you haven't heard Anthony Edwards' interview post-game, 
I really recommend going to, I know Dane Moore had basically the entire interview on his podcast this morning, but otherwise I'm not sure if the Wolves put it up on their YouTube page yet either, but Carl Anthony Towns after the game, he's always been the type of, I guess you can call it leadership of, you know, shouldering the blame, saying this is all my fault. I've got to do more, you know, when things are good, I'm supposed to let the praise go to everyone else. And when things are bad, I need to shoulder the blame, take it upon myself to make sure it doesn't happen again. And it's kind of like the heroic hoorah type of leadership. And it's something that he says all the time, but you kind of have to start like embodying that at some point. And Anthony Edwards for the first time really in his career, and he's only 20 years old. So it's no surprise that it hasn't happened yet. But I, I'm actually surprised it did happen at this point. He's starting to take upon himself a willingness and a desire to win. And you saw it after the game last night. He was he was pissed off. I'm going to read some of the things that he said in case you haven't heard the postgame conference. But he just started talking about he need, there needs to be more accountability. And he was the way he said it, you could tell it was coming from the heart. You could tell Patrick Beverly is already influencing him. And he said that he's going to start stepping up and being more of a leader and kind of being more outspoken. Cause he's always said his type of leading is I'm just going to show it on the court. But last night he really, for the first time kind of started talking about it. So the first thing that he kind of talked about was he got asked a question about whether this is a wake up call to which he said, it's a wake up call for sure. Lock in, lock the fuck in everybody coming in here thinking it's sweet playing the Pelicans. They whooped our ass. Now our back's on the wall again. We got to wake up. And I think that's just kind of a message to the entire team. Where Kat's leadership's more focused on him rather than everyone else. Kat says, I got to do more. I have to be better. I have to get more people involved. And it's like, no, like everyone has to be fucking better. Like this isn't just a me, Kat, and D'Lo thing. Everyone has to be better. And he when he when when he got asked about the offensive struggles, he pointed blame at him, Cat, and D'Lo, and he just said, we think we're the only ones on the team. We have to be willing to pass the ball. There's no I in team. We can't beat five people with three people. We beat five people with five people. And I think that's saying something. Everyone needs to be accountable. I think Ant's going to start holding Cat accountable, and Patrick Beverly's probably already starting trying to do that. But Cat's for so long been the only leadership voice in the locker room for the last couple of years. So it's kind of nice to see someone stepping up. And I guess just in your mind, which route do you like better? And do you think there's any potential rift or kind of like turbulence in the future if Ant continues to be this outspoken and maybe it starts to publicly steer towards, oh, this is Anthony Edwards' team. This is not Carl Anthony's team anymore. Like this is Ant's team now. I think that that has been something that was brewing even since last year. Um, it was brought up to me in a conversation that it wouldn't shock that, you know, this is talking to fans in general. It wouldn't shock people if Ant was the face and identity of this team going forward. And when I first heard that, I didn't really take it seriously. I just thought, you know, he's kind of goofy. He's got a fun personality. You know, people are magnetized to him, but you know, Kat's the guy, Kat's the one we've chosen to build around. We've given him, you know, we give him all the praise. We talk about how great he is and give him a lot of rope and he appreciates that. You know, we've been kind to his family and everything that he's gone through. Right. But to your point, 
if you want to talk about a consistent problem with this team, it, it, it seems like we get high on ourselves way too quickly. And with Kat, something that you brought up that I agree with is he says all the right things. And there's a difference between saying all the right things and doing all the things in the locker room. Cat is a politician in terms of the media. Like I just got done saying he's not with the refs, but you know, he's saying what everybody wants to hear. It's my fault. I'll take the blame. I've got to be better. I can lift this team. You know, it's, it, it's an easy out. The media will say, yeah, all right, cat can do better. And you know, it's not on the rest of the Timberwolves, but behind closed doors, I wonder if that's really the case. You know, I wonder if you're looking at a team dynamic, if Kat's really doing that in practice, or if he really thinks he's all they've got, it's all about him and he doesn't really care about the rest of his teammates, as opposed to when you see Ant, you know, emotion on your sleeve. You know, we talked about that magnetic personality. Just because you're the best player doesn't mean you're the best leader, you know, and at, at the high school level, that's true. The college level, that's true. And the NBA level, it sure is true. You want your best player to be your best leader. You know, it's easy to lead by example. It's easy for guys to look at someone and say, well, he's really good. He's doing it the right way. You know, the classic Michael Jordan example, the ultimate competitor and the ultimate athlete, you know, that's what everybody has pictured in their brain in sports for the longest time. I can tell you, having veteran guys around in the past have made more of an impact on this team than players like Cat have. The one year we had of someone like James Johnson, that veteran experience, he's been through it. It teaches these young guys a lot of things. And if you're talking about a power struggle, you know, a rift in the team, I think it's pretty clear to see that Ant has more of the voice of the locker room than maybe Cat does at this point. And that's just me. Again, it's wild speculation. But if your team leader is spending 10 minutes of the first quarter complaining about the refs that he is getting fouled and actively hurting the team, you know, that's, that's showing a little bit more character than what you're saying to the media. That's kind of showing an impetus that your game and how you're doing is more important than the team. So I know I'm going in on Cat, but... I don't think it's too crazy to see this identity of this team being with Ant because Ant is starting to catch up to Cat, especially on the offensive end. We've seen Ant go explode and guards have an easier time in the NBA. If you're a special guard, it's a lot easier for you to have success in the NBA than if you're a big. Nikola Jokic is like the first big man to win MVP in a bunch of years, you know, like a true, tried and true big man. You can count Giannis, I guess, to an extent, but. You know, Giannis can even handle the ball and score in a multitude of ways off the dribble. Cat is a big man. It's harder for those guys in the NBA to be this successful. So I know I've been going on for a while, but when you're talking about the leadership of this team, I think it needs to be done by both parties. If you, if it truly becomes a rift between Cat and D'Lo versus Ant and maybe Bev and all these guys, that's going to be a recipe for disaster. But to your initial question, which version of leadership do I prefer? It's the ant one. It's the one to say, we got to fire people up. The identity of this team has been, you know, we kind of ride the flow. We never are able to break the wave. You know, you, we were texting during the game and you're kind of like, Oh, do you smell a comeback? And I just said, no, we just, we don't do that. We don't have that type of metal. We don't have, we're not that type of personality in a team where we're just going to come back from 13 down and get on a hot run. There's not the personality of this team. So I 
again, I think that Ant's way is a little more refreshing. It's talking more team oriented and to being, you know, the accountability thing has been true of this team for a long time. If you can start holding players accountable, you're going to have success. Yeah. And I agree with that. I think Ant's way is hopefully the way it continues to go. It's also what's echoed by different veterans in the locker room, like Patrick Beverly, Torian Prince, guys like that, that have been through it, as you were saying, guys that have been in the playoffs, been through deep playoff runs. Those are also the guys that are preaching accountability. So I'm just curious to see how this kind of starts playing out. Ant said he, he's not really the kind of vocal guy in the locker room at just 20 years old, but he said last night, and I believe him when he says it, that he's going to start talking more. He's going to start holding guys accountable, saying, you know, this is how it's got to be challenging himself, D'Lo, Cat. Like, they got to start passing the ball more. They have to get on these things and do it. Like, you have to do it. It's got to be less about saying it and more about doing it. And look at what he's done personally in his own game. You know, in one year, the, our perception of Ant completely changed about his ceiling. We talked about, oh, my gosh, his defense is terrible. Like, it's actively bad. Like, he's going to be one of the worst defenders on the team. We can't take Ant off the floor right now. He's reached league average in, like, three months of offseason work. I don't know how he did it, but Ant is not a problem on the ball. He's strong. He's physical. He points the people to the part of the defense that doesn't hurt us. So if you want to talk about just in his own game, how much he's held himself accountable to not just be a dog crap defender, like, that's type that's leadership in itself, showing that I'm willing to do this. Are you willing to do this? Yeah. And I think that's going to be, I think that's going to be hard to get to resonate with D'Lo more than Cat. I think, I don't think Cat's going to have, maybe I could be wrong, but I don't think Cat's going to have a big problem taking not even a step back, just having another voice in the locker room, another strong voice that people will listen to. I don't think Cat's going to have a problem with that. I think Cat will buy into that. I think D'Lo will be the challenge. That'll be harder to get D'Lo to buy in. D'Lo, he, he hasn't been good through three games, and we'll talk about him. But defensively, it's, it's, it's just bad. It doesn't even look like there's effort, I guess. He's, he's not a good defender, but you got to at least be able to be in the right spots at the right time because that's just a mental IQ and effort thing. And D'Lo can control all that. D'Lo's a very smart basketball player, but – We'll get into D'Lo a little bit more later, but I thought it was interesting to bring up the leadership dynamics because it's something we saw for the first time last night. And Chris Finch, after practice today, as we're recording this on Tuesday night, said it was a really testy practice, a really fiery and emotional practice, which is probably a good thing. It's a good thing that guys are challenging each other to push, and they're pushing each other about what they can do better and how they can fix things and what, what can be done differently because – yeah, last night was not good. And if you play like that, you're not winning many games because the Pelicans are a very bad basketball team without Zion Williamson. So if they're beating you when you're playing like that, a hell of a lot more teams are going to be beating you even worse when you're playing like that. But let's move on to this, this new little segment. And it's just going to be kind of just recapping and overviewing and what we've seen from this chunk of three games. But you said, you just randomly said, what if we call a segment the good, the bad, and the Gorgie. The Gorgie. Gotta love it. Gorgie Zhang. Shout out to Gorgie Zhang. Still loading up a jump shot that he started started loading up last night. But hey, Gorgie Zhang. And what we're going to do with that, obviously the good and the bad are pretty obvious. You know what we're going to talk about with that, what we liked and what we didn't like. 
but then what the gorgy part of the segment is is it's it's just like timberwolves shit like like what's what what happened that is just like oh yeah that's classic timberwolves so that's the part of the gorgy so do you maybe want to start go through go through your good bad and gorgy parts yeah let's start with some good so you know get a little more positive to hear there's been a couple things you know looking into this that i love i love the defense so far i know it sounds crazy you know rebounding is a whole nother issue but you know there's been a lot of active hands and the scheme is solid we complained for the past two years that i've known you last year on this pod about drop coverage good lord cat looks terrible in drop coverage Defending the high pick and roll with the double and the flash has been amazing. It truly has. We are rotated. We're connected. We're not losing in the half court on screen game anymore. And that was so annoying to watch last year. If anybody set a screen on anybody last year, the guard was dead at the top of the key, sealed off by the big man with a two-on-one heading toward the rim. And what the flash has allowed us to do is just kind of jump in passing lanes. It allows guys who are instinctual defenders like McDaniels and a Kogi and off the ball, I'm going to say it, people are going to lose their mind when I say it, but D'Lo has some quick hands. Like D'Lo, for all his defensive efficient deficiencies, has very quick hands off the ball. If the ball's coming his way, he reads it well, and he's willing to poke the ball away. He did it a couple of times last night, even though he's been playing like garbage. So I'm absolutely in love with the scheme. Uh, the numbers are supporting that. A lot of tough shots, you know, a lot of late shot clock stuff, a lot of plays that are just effort plays and looks like the guys are bought into doing it and you've seen it i know we've played some bad teams but we are fourth in defensive rating which is something i don't think i've i don't think i've ever heard of a single digit at any point of the season for defensive rating for the timberwolves since i've been watching them so we'll we'll get some real tests you know we got Giannis coming up and we got Jokic as their next two games but um i really like what i've seen so far from the scheme and the active hands that are being coached on the defensive side of the ball yeah in terms of my good part, it's also, I mean, defense, but just to be, so I don't match yours. Well, quickly, Patrick Beverly, defensively, Patrick Beverly, point of attack. I thought we've actually had some solid point of attack stuff. Now using D'Angelo Russell as a point of attack defender, not a good idea, like at all whatsoever, but guys like Josh Akogi and Patrick Beverly have been awesome as point of attack guys on the defensive end. And like you said, the Wolves have, kind of switched over to that, you know, cats flashing out and kind of getting up at the point or at the level of the screen, which has been good, but they've also just been mixing it up. Like they've still played some drop coverages in times. They dropped into zone a little bit for, it was only like a minute. I can't remember if that was last night or on Saturday night, but they've been switching it up and just trying different things. And they force a lot of turnovers. Now, again, very bad basketball teams turn the ball over a lot. Houston and New Orleans without Zion are very bad basketball teams, but still forcing 24, 30 and 20 turnovers. That's pretty solid numbers. And that allows the wolves. And I think has allowed the wolves as probably the only reason that they're two and one right now, because the half court offense has not been good whatsoever. And as you saw last night in that third quarter run by Anthony Edwards, that was fueled a lot by the defense and getting out in transition on the fast breaks Ant, you know, cat grabbing the rebound or getting the steal, putting it ahead to Ant, and then he's going and finishing and attacking the rim. So I think that's been good. The other good part I want to just mention is everything hasn't been horrible offensively. I was going to save this for a little bit, but the Wolves are 23rd in offensive rating. But with Carlton Towns and Anthony Edwards on the floor, 
when D'Angelo Russell is not on the floor. So just Cat and Ant, they're scoring 148.7 points per 100 possessions. That's the lineup that was on the floor when they made that big third quarter run. When D'Lo wasn't out there, it was Cat and Ant leading the charge. And they're only allowing 89.9 points per 100 possessions. That's a difference of 58.8 points per 100 possessions. All those are 100th percentile in the NBA right now. Again, super small sample size, but that two-man lineup without D'Angelo Russell has actually been out there for, considering it's only been three games, it's a pretty solid sample size for a three-game stretch. And I thought that was really interesting because 148.8 points per 100 possessions is not a bad offense. It's not a bad offense. So I'm kind of curious to see how that evolves with D'Lo back in the mix with those guys because those two together without D'Lo have really turned it up offensively. And it kind of makes you wonder about where the stagnation, and you can also maybe even read into it a little bit with Ant talking about, we got to pass the ball. We got to move the ball. We can't be stagnant. We got to let the thing fire around the key. Like, I don't know if that, that's probably not a shot at anyone, but if anyone, D'Lo's the more sticky hands guy right now or slowing down rhythm. So I'm curious to see how that evolves, but yeah, I would say the good, obviously the defense, forcing turnovers, and then Cat and Ant, two-man lineups with no deal on the floor. Yeah, I mean, D'Lo has been a touching point, and it's a good lead into what has been bad for me. So for me specifically, there's been two things that I think have been pretty egregious so far. First is D'Lo at the point of attack, like you mentioned before. This defense is predicated about not giving up middle dribble penetration. Everything is supposed to be pushed to the perimeter, pushed to the baseline so you can offer help, force off angle shots. But it was like a broken record last year watching D'Lo try to guard point guards. All right. Take that idea, throw it far, far away from us in a garbage can in the next county over. Like we, in no point or any lineup that we have together, D'Lo should never be at the point of attack. And when they were getting their runs, it wasn't supposed to be D'Lo at the point of attack, but D'Lo is getting switched on to players like Brandon Ingram. All right. D'Lo needs to be off ball and a shooter in the corner because D'Lo for his size does two things decently well. Get his active hands. He can poke the ball away a little bit. He has good vision and he's actually an okay rebounder for his size. I'm not going to call him good, but for being a six, three guard, he's a stockier build. He can get up there and grab some loose balls. All right. Use those things as part of the baseline of the defense. Don't let him pick up good players in transition. I know that's part of a bunch of different issues and teams are choosing to attack him, especially in transition, but holy crap, you cannot have him at the point of the defense anymore. There should be no lineups where he has to be a primary defender in any way. And that leads me to my second issue, which has been rotations. All right. The thing that made me nervous, if you want to really pin hard of what made me nervous about this third game is that when things started getting tough, and we couldn't get the rhythm. It seemed like Finch tightened the reins, which is not out of character. You know, that's an NBA coach thing. You want to get your trusted guys out there. But the minutes distribution that was giving us success and the players that were giving us success, it seemed like we had a lack of awareness on that. We forced almost 30 turnovers a game the first two games. And that was a lot of a Kogi, Vanderbilt, Torian Prince, all these guys with long arms, good defensive players, you know, Vanderbilt, I hate to say it, Vanderbilt was playing great the first two games. He's everywhere, poking things away, being the energy player. And then when we tightened the reins, we started to lean on Malik Beasley, 
D'Angelo Russell. And it just seemed like a lack of awareness of what was giving us success. Reality is our defense was leading to offense, right? That was what was happening in the first two games. And Finch just decided, uh, we don't care about that. We're just going to try to outscore them to get back in this game. So I was disheartened when you look at the minutes distribution, if you, especially if you're talking about a Kogi Vanderbilt and Torian Prince and Nasreed, all right, four guys who are good bench guys in the NBA right now and kind of important to what we're doing right now. You know, 15 for a co or eight, 21 for a Kogi in the first game for minutes. And then, you know, 15, that type of mark, all those guys need to be in there from about 12 to 18 minutes. That's what we want them to be on the court for good breaks, good rhythms, good rotations. And then when things got tough, we saw Kogi for 11 minutes in the last game. We saw Vanderbilt for eight. We saw Torian Prince for nine. I don't think those are recipes for success. I think that you need to let those guys play and get back into a rhythm because the defense is what's been propelling us to this point. Yeah. And I think part of the reasoning behind that, I guess, is just we're down. We got to go all offensive. We got to put Beasley out there, D'Lo, get these guys, you know, try to space the floor and try to get as many looks from three as possible. That's probably the rationale behind it. But as you said, the one that really bothered me the most, I guess, is we went down into the fourth quarter down what was it like seven yesterday? And then we opened up the fourth quarter with a lineup of J Mac, Patrick Beverly, Torian Prince, Vando and Nas. And I looked at that lineup and I said, who, who's supposed to like score here? Like who's doing the, you can, you can say J Mac is going to try to create, but J Mac's better creating for guys like Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. He's not necessarily great at, creating when he is the main focus offensively because he's really when you look at that lineup he's kind of the focal point of that unit because Patrick Beverly is not doing a lot of on-ball creating now he's a good off-ball shooter and I really wish Finch would have decided to close with Patrick Beverly over Malik Beasley yesterday because not only was Patrick Beverly the obvious better defender he was shooting the ball better than Malik Beasley last night so I guess I didn't really understand the rationale behind that, but in terms of my bad, I've, I'm just going to say Malik Beasley. It hasn't been great. He, he impacted the game a little bit on opening night in ways that didn't necessarily show up in the box score. He was kind of getting his hands in there, had some steals and deflections towards the end of the game, but he's not been doing anything offensively. He can't hit a shot shooting 16% from three-point range. He's not rebounding. He's not creating for others. And this is kind of what we talked about and what we've been preaching going into the season. He needs to be out there with other creators. Malik Beasley's not a classic six-man type player where you give him the ball and you set him a screen and he's going to go get you a bucket. It's just not what he does. And it's what I was worried about with Malik Beasley coming into the year. So I don't know what that necessarily looks like in terms of changing that. It probably looks like playing with the starters a little bit more, but you got to be careful going to that all offensive unit because that lineup of Gilo, Beasley, Ant, McDaniels, and Cat theoretically scores the ball at a very high rate, but they don't defend well. And it, probably even bigger issues, they don't rebound well. They don't get defensive rebounds. And that's, I guess that's the other bad that I had in mind is just cleaning the glass defensively. And the Wolves actually haven't been terrible offensive rebounding. I think they're 11th in the league in offensive rebound rate. 
but they're last in the NBA in defensive rebound rate. And it's not close. They've rebounded. They've got defensive rebounds on 64% of potential rebound scenarios when they're on defense. That's last in the NBA and 29th is 68%. So they're 4% worse than the next worst team, which is not good. It's, it's what everyone worried about coming into the year with the team. They're too small, but there's still some guys on this team that can rebound. You might have to go to some lineups with Cat and Nas together, Cat and Vando together a little bit more, or playing Jaden McDaniels at the three, which is, I guess, the theory with the starting lineup. But Akogi's, you can say he's playing the four, but Jaden McDaniels is the second biggest guy out there. So he's supposed to be rebounding like the four. Jaden McDaniels needs to be a better rebounder, man. He needs to be a better rebounder on this team. He's it's he's not really built for rebounding in terms of his girth, but just his height-wise, he needs to get in there a little bit more and use his length and grab some rebounds because the Wolves are going to get eaten alive on the glass. And Brooke Lopez is not playing tomorrow night for the Bucs, but Giannis is – whatever the over-under is for Giannis's rebounds tomorrow night, hammer the over. I think Ed Davis is available. I think that's somebody we could pick up off no. the street to the rebounding. <laughs> Cleveland Cavaliers just signed Ed Davis. Don't do oh. that. Bad. He's reunited oh. with Ricky. Him and Ricky are leading the charge in Cleveland. Shout out to Ricky Rubio, by the way. He's, he's kind of hooping up over, over in Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland picked up a big win over the Nuggets the other night. And to your point about the rebounding, where we're really going to get this big test is we just played back-to-back games against Jonas Valanciunas, who is a fine player. A totally fine player. He is not a former MVP that dominates you physically. And he had 20 points and 20 rebounds on average in both the games. I believe it was 21 points and 17 boards one game and 22 points and 23 rebounds in the other game. I am going to be clenched to the extreme every time I watch you know, either... Nikola Jokic coming off his MVP season or Giannis Antetokounmpo crashing the boards because right now that type of player that's that physical and wants the ball that badly is destroying us. So, you know, and there is ways to clean it up. You know, if we're going to get into a positive spin on the bad rebounding, most of it has to do with the point of attack defense. Again, you know, the worst rebounding stretches we had with Valanciunas was when D'Lo was or Beasley were getting beat off the dribble is forcing Cat to come high. And then instead of filling in the back with a power forward, you're filling in with Jane McDaniels or a guard like a Kogi or smaller players. And, you know, Jonas Valanciunas is a good player, but he's a true six foot 11. And when you're bringing in six foot three guards to try to pin them down on the backside to grab rebounds, you're going to give up a little bit. So part of it's personnel, part of it's the scheme, but I do see ways it will get better when everything's going our rebounding is going, you know, that's part of, you know, when you're tipping passes, you don't have to rebound. And when they're putting up bad shots, cats in position, we really clean the glass well, but when cat gets out of position, if you want to keep your eye on something, that's when it goes really downhill because if cat's not getting his hands on the ball, we're really not coming up with plays. We really aren't. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all, it's all only going to get worse if things don't change. Like you said, Valanciunas is a very physical player. He's given Cat troubles throughout the year. But there's going to be even bigger teams than the New Orleans Pelicans coming our way. And imagine imagine the Pelicans with Zion in that lineup instead, like, as well. Like, Brandon Ingram was grabbing 9, 10 rebounds. Zion would have been double-digit rebound guy as well. So 
I don't know if it means changing the rotation, getting Vanderbilt in there a little bit more, maybe getting Nas next to Cat a little bit more. If it means Sasha and Gupta making a trade, signing, whatever, to get a little more size on this team earlier than we anticipated. Or if it just means the guards and the forwards just crashing harder. Everyone's got to be in there. It's going to be hard to leak out with the roster we have right now. But moving into the best part of this new segment, the Gorgie. What is the Timberwolves shit? Like classic Timberwolves. What had you think in classic Timberwolves over this last three games? Well, for me right now, it's the it's the ball. And I, I have a vendetta against the Wilson <laughs> ball. My last name is Spalding, all right? How dare you, NBA? A time-honored tradition with a Spalding basketball, and you throw it all away for a sticky Wilson piece of garbage that nobody likes to play with. Nobody likes to play with the Wilson. It's not where the real hoopers are at. And, uh, you know, it sounds like a, a joking rhetoric, but Dev here did a little bit of research for me because my eyes were telling me one story. I was hoping it was true, but league-wide so far, the percentage of three-pointers that have gone in are down two full percentage points since we've started the new ball. <laughs> I'm sure it'll get fixed. It's a transition period. But my point is, and what's the peak Timberwolves stuff, is the people it's affecting on our team are D'Lo and Beasley, guys who were money last year from deep. Beasley was on a heater like we hadn't seen in a Wolves uniform for a while. He was a legit 38 39% from three every single time he stepped on the floor. Currently... D'Angelo Russell is shooting 30% from three and Malik Beasley, our man is shooting 16.7% from three and it's all short. They have no idea where the ball's going. It's peak Timberwolves where you get guys who can finally shoot the ball and you switch the damn ball on them. And now everybody's clanking it left and right. That is my Gorgie of the week. I'm not ready to say it's the ball yet. I think it's just maybe D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley just sometimes aren't good at basketball during some games throughout the season. They're good basketball players, obviously, but sometimes they have some games where they don't shoot very well. Malik Beasley's kind of shown that maybe he's not in the best shape of his career right now. He had a really rough preseason, kind of slower getting up and down the court, didn't have that same kind of pop when it comes to athleticism. So I'm not ready to go say it's the ball yet. Maybe maybe we can revisit this topic in a week or two and see if that league average is maybe a little bit closer to what it was last year. You may say Beasley's fat, but it's way more convenient to say it's the ball. <laughs> Infinitely more convenient. It makes me feel better personally, so I'm going to ride it till I die. I know it makes you feel better because that's that's been like your true and triding spirit for the, your entire basketball career is every time we play with a Wilson and a shot doesn't go in oh it feels gross coming off the hand what is this shit sticking to my fingertips <laughs> I'm waiting for somebody in the NBA to call it out and then I can latch on to them I've been preaching this gospel for many many years you put a Spalding ball in my hand I'm like 50% from three every <laughs> single night put a Wilson in my hand I'm shooting a dirty 30 all right ain't no idea where that thing's going so I need this to be true for me, to, for me to feel good about myself. Love it. I love it. Um, my Gorgie moment of the week is kind of a mixture of just, just the Monday game. Like, I'll just say it like that. The Monday game. Cat bitching at the refs after he constantly says he's not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm over it. I can't control it. Here he goes. Probably the worst quarter I've ever seen him complaining and flailing around the floor. And then just in terms of 
I said one thing would piss me off last week at the end of the podcast. Do you remember what the one thing I said that would make me mad about these first three games was? Saying that we didn't see him coming. We didn't take him seriously. Yep. Yep. And guess what people said after the game yesterday, Anthony Edwards started it and I was okay with Ant's post-game post-game press conference, but Oh, we gotta, we gotta do better. It's a wake up call. It's a wake up call for sure. We need to lock in. We need to lock the fuck in. I'm so sick of it, man. I'm so sick of it. I'm so sick of it. I woke up this morning and I like shouldn't have been as disappointed as I was in a third game of the season Wolves loss, but you just see it over and over again. This is a wake up call. And this actually seems like a team where a wake up call might be a little bit different than in years past. And I hope it is, but man, it's just hard to get excited about the Minnesota Timberwolves and you see some, some of the shit happening over and over again, but I'm going to stay optimistic. They're still two and one. Let's see what happens in, in these next two games specifically against a lot better opponents. And we'll go from there. Uh, moving on. Do you want to go through anything else offensively, defensively before we get into Twitter questions? No, I think we covered a lot of it. Like I said, I think the offense, you know, it has been struggling so far. That's going to be the tried and true part of this team, though. If you're looking at Finch, I trust Finch to find ways to get that rating up. That's, you know, that's going to be the crux of this team. If we can keep the defensive rating going, even in the middle teens, I'll be happy. So we're not seeing the the tried and true version of this team. We're going to be an offensive heavy team. And we're going to be we're looking to make plays on defense, tip passes, get turnovers to try to fuel a little bit of offense as well. So you know, I'm pretty confident that both of these numbers are going to return to the mean a little bit. I'm not super concerned about either side of the ball at the moment. What about you? Yeah, I think it'll be fine. It'll be, everything will be fine. Chris Finch has said it's a little bit too much of hero ball or cat ant and D'Lo kind of taking their turns, I guess is what you would say when it comes to the offensive side of the ball. And hopefully we find a little bit more of that rhythm and a little bit more of that flow. And that's probably just something that takes time. Ant said it's not chemistry. He said it's just we got to pass the ball. But I think it'll it'll just take some time. Guys will learn how to play with each other, where guys are going to be offensively. And I, I'm not worried about the offense per se. It's, it's concerning, but I think it'll get figured out. It's not panic time yet. It's not panic time yet. But moving on to Twitter questions. First question, we got two of them today. First question comes from at Murph1480. Do we need a true power forward or is McDaniels going to cut it for the entire season there? What are you, what are you thinking about this one? Just a pot shot at Josh Akogi, the six, (laughs) four power forward. God, I mean, yeah, we need a power forward. We need a power forward. And I'm, I'm already starting to get my Simmons rant ready, but I'm going to save it. We're going to not talk about, well, shit, I already did it. Well, we're not going to get into it this time, but I'm just saying a power forward, true bodied is going to be something that's necessary for this team. I, I don't think it's any secret to the front office or the coaching staff that they're playing with the kind of a goofy roster. They're playing with an undersized roster and you can do certain things with that, you know? Um, But I think that they're going to be looking for a traditional power forward on the market, anywhere they can get it. You know, you're going to, you have to keep monitoring team situations, even us coming into this year, you think about our value based on what we thought Malik Beasley and Jane McDaniels value would be in a trade. And in three games, it's already readjusted the levels, right? You have to wait for these teams. They're going to be looking to offload players. I know the Orlando Magic have like nine centers right now. So that's a team you could look to pick something up from that looks for any pieces. They could use a few guards. 
just the more you monitor the season, it'll start rumbling. And I'm, I'm pretty confident that a new body will come into this team. Yeah, I would say, yes, we need a different power forward other than, or we just need more size. We don't necessarily need a different starting power forward. We just need more size. We, we've talked about it on many podcasts. Jane McDaniels and Carlin P. Towns playing next to each other when McDaniels is that second biggest guy or that four out there. It, it's, it's not great. It's, it's not been a great sample size. They get hammered on the glass. They get hammered defensively. It's it, Jane McDaniels is better suited when he's playing the three. And Jane McDaniels is actually, he struggled offensively. He hasn't gotten a ton of great looks from three, but he's only shooting 14% from three, but he's been a menace on the defensive side of the ball. You know, a couple blocks, a couple steals per game. McDaniels is going to be fine, I think. But yeah, you need a little bit more size. I think I think that's pretty pretty obvious. The next question, I told you I had a hot take before this before this podcast started. So I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make an accusation right now, and you can tell me if my accusation is false or true. You ready for this, LP? This is this is from left field. This is from left field. Hit me. This next question is from at Wombo Combo zero eight seven. Is this your burner account? I want to know if this is your burner account, LP. Is this your burner account? This question is too much of, of what we talked about last night. It's too much. It just screams, this is LP making a burner account and asking this Timberwolves question to himself. I mean, stranger things have happened, but uh, I'm going to say smart people like to hang around smart people. That's all I'm saying. Interesting. Interesting. So he's not denying it. He's not denying it. But anyway, at Wombo Combo 087, or maybe LP, we don't really know. At this point, it could be LP, asks, in a game where the backups are struggling to get going and Beasley is giving you very little, should the Wolves have given Jalen Noel some run? Seems like the perfect use case for him to come in and try to start flamethrowing. So in terms of my answer to this question, I did think about sending a tweet last night asking if it was Jalen Noel time because he can kind of be one of those plug-and-play guys where – you need a little scoring punch. Nothing's working. We saw it on Saturday when the Wolves needed some life. Finch turned to Jordan McLaughlin, which worked really well Saturday night. But McLaughlin wasn't working all that well Monday night. So, yeah, I mean, you can throw Jalen Noel in there in bits and pieces. I'm not a huge fan of Jalen Noel seeing like 20 minutes a game right now. But when things are going badly, yeah, you can throw Jalen Noel in there. See if it works. See if it gives you a boost. I had mentioned it already. I did not like Beasley in that closing lineup at all. I thought Patrick Beverly was the way to go but that's neither here nor there at this point. So what, what were your thoughts? I know you gave already some of your thoughts about the rotations, but in terms of Jalen Noel, I guess, maybe seeing some time in the future. I'd like to see him get some time. You know, it's a tough, it's a tough spot at the beginning of the season if you're a coach, because it's not just who's playing and who's playing well. You don't really have enough data for that. It's a lot more of the politics, right? You obviously know that Malik Beasley is a big personality. And if you, after the second game, he's not playing well, start eating Jalen Noel minutes into his time. I don't think that's going to do well for the locker room dynamics. So I'd say not yet. I say you got to see if Beasley gets going, but if this turns into a seven, eight game slump, which, you know, that's a pretty decent sample size. I, I do think that Jalen Noel or Jordan McLaughlin are going to start seeing some more minutes. These guys who can give you a little scoring pop. So, you know, in it, in later in the season, we might see this move specifically, but early in the season, you're trying to get everybody's rhythm down. You're trying to get everybody used to playing with each other again. Malik Beasley has been off basketball for half a year. I mean, he, he was suspended for 40 some games. So 
we're going to give him a little bit of time. I'm going to give him a little bit of grace to figure it out. But um, yeah, not quite yet, but I, I don't think this is going to be a crazy idea during the middle of the season. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And I think basically more of the story from the podcast is there's a lot of interesting dynamics and a lot of interesting storylines to continue to follow. And I think everyone's curious to see how this team looks tomorrow night going into Milwaukee, who will be without Brooke Lopez and without Drew Holiday. So you have a little bit of a chance there. Milwaukee's not without Brooke Lopez. I mean, Milwaukee will play a little bit smaller at times. Giannis will probably start at the five, maybe Bobby Portis, if he's back, we'll get some more run too, but it's, it's going to be an interesting season to follow. It's been an interesting first week before we wrap up. Obviously we got to get to LP's fat wolves fact of the week. It's, it's, it's been a lot of depressing one lately. Is, is, is something positive coming our way? Something positive comes this way. So fun fact, an actual fun fact. I can put fun in front of fact of the week. The Timberwolves have won their opening game the past six seasons. One and oh, past six seasons. So what I'm saying is can't wait till next year, Dev. One and oh, can't wait to start one and oh next season. I'm calling bullshit on this fact. I'm calling bullshit. It's got to be the last six home openers. Is it the last six home openers? Eh, it might be. (laughs) This is a lazy research done in LP's semi-fact of the week. Well, we don't need to fact check it now. People can fact check it themselves after the podcast. We'll call that LP's maybe fact of the week. (laughs) LP's pseudo fact of the week that works in his own mind and narrative. LP's pseudo fact of the week. With that, Thank you for listening to episode, oh boy, what was this? Episode 16 of the Wolf Den. We're flying along. I say it every single podcast, but we're getting right along. Uh, follow us, uh, follow Wolf Den on Twitter at MMWolfden. Follow the All NBA account at Pro City Hoops on Twitter and Instagram. Ricky Rubio, keep balling out in Cleveland, averaging 14 and 9. Love to see it. I'm Devin. He's LP. Peace.